Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us this Sunday. I've shared this story before, but, but uh, when I was in the eighth grade, uh, so I was homeschooled from third to seventh grade, went back to school in the eighth grade, and the expectation was you have to get A's and B's on all your classes and all that sort of thing. And so, you know, you get, a, you get a report card every quarter. So the first quarter, I got all A's and B's. Everything was great. And then the second quarter, I don't know if I just thought, like, I got this figured out or whatever. And that, they would give you an interim report, like, every nine weeks. And this was old school. And so on Friday, you would walk, you would get your, like, printed out, here's where we are in your grades. And we live pretty close to the school. So me and my friends would walk to school to and for every week. And so I got my interim report for second quarter, and it was bad. Like, bad. And uh, as we're walking home, I'm thinking, like, I'm going to die. Like, this is it for me. Like, this is the final farewell. I'll see you guys in heaven. And, like, this is it. I'm going to be grounded. I'm going to, like, this is not going to be go- end well for me. And, and I don't remember all the details around it, but I do remember that Friday night, uh, our family went to the movies. I guess it was already pre-planned. And uh, I just remember thinking, all right, this is, like, the last supper, like, the last celebration, like, one more thing until I, like, never leave my room again. And I just remember we were sitting in the lobby of the uh, of the movie theater, and uh, my parents sat me down, and basically, I don't remember all the conversation, but it was basically something to the effect of, uh, this is unacceptable. Uh, when your report card comes out at the end of the quarter, you will not have these grades, and, uh, and then that was it. And I was like waiting for like, and now you're going to die. And now you're going to be, st-. like I was waiting for it, and like nothing happened. And so then we like go to the movies, and we go home, and I'm like, I'm alive. Like, next, the next day, like, playing with my friends on, on Saturday, running around the neighborhood, I'm like, I cannot believe I'm here. And, like, we can't believe you're here either. Like, I just, I was there. I thought I would be rightly disciplined or punished for my uh, poor performance, but in that moment, I received grace instead. And, and I share that story because today, as we uh, continue our time through the book of Genesis, here's the question we're looking at this morning. What happens when we don't deserve the promises of God? What happens when God is faithful and kind? Maybe God has asked us or led us to do something and we don't do what he's asked. We've dishonored him. We've done something like we would even blatantly say like, yeah, that was a bad decision. I I shouldn't have done it. I don't deserve God to be kind and forgiving and loving towards me. What happens to us when we don't deserve the promises of God? When we don't measure up, that's the question that we have today. And so uh, if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and open up with me to Genesis chapter 25? Um, if not, there's a Bible around you. If you don't own a Bible, you can take one of those black ones home. It is our gift to you. We are uh, continuing our time through the book of Genesis. If you've been with us, uh, we've been halfway through now. Uh, for the last for the last while, we've been looking at the life of Abraham, who God called and said, I'm going to bless you and, and out of you, somehow, someway, all the nations of the world one day will be blessed. And we know this was pointing to the Messiah, Jesus, and what he was going to do. Uh, Last week, we ended the life of Abraham. We saw that he died. And today, we're going to pick up the story with his son Isaac and the covenant, right? Uh, God has promised to bless Abraham and his offspring to make him into a great nation. And he's calling them to be faithful to him. And so today, we're going to pick up the story with his son, Isaac, and see what Isaac does and what Isaac's kids do. We're going to read two very well-known stories of Jacob. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard these stories, which means uh, undoubtedly there might be some things that are confusing or we've missed. And so we're going to see what's happening there. And then for today, how this is going to work a little bit different. I'm going to read most and explain most of the text up front, and then we're going to kind of apply it towards the end. And so if you can track with me, I think it'll be really helpful for us. And so we'll pick up the story, Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 19. Uh, and it just talked about Abraham's death and his burial. And now it's going to focus on his son, Isaac, who is the heir of the covenant. And it says this, 
These are the family records of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took his wife, Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer, and his wife, wife Rebekah, conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each other, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And so in this story, Isaac is moving into the patriarch, the leader of the covenantal family. And these next few chapters are going to be focused on his children, who they are, and what they will do. And so Isaac actually doesn't get a lot of story time in Genesis. And what he does is actually more focuses on his children than on him. But it's just helpful to note at this point, where we pick up the story, Isaac is 40. Um, Abraham is actually still alive. The reason why it's kind of written the way it is is because he is no longer the focus of the story. So although his burial has already been talking about, when this part, part takes place, he's alive, but he's not a main focus. Uh, Rebecca, like Sarah, who is Isaac's mother, is also unable to conceive. In fact, we'll see in a second, it was two decades long. She could not have a child for two decades, which of course is a terrible, awful thing, even more so in an ancient world where children were everything. She's unable to, to conceive. Uh, it's not a drawn out story like Abraham and Sarah's was, but it's still a very long time. And then uh, the problem, of course, is if she cannot conceive, how is God's covenantal promise going to continue? And so Isaac prays for her. God listens and uh, uh, she conceives. She senses something is wrong about the present uh, pregnancy. Uh, she's going to have twins, as we'll see. Uh, we're not sure how, how exactly she goes about inquiring from God, but she does because she senses there's something wrong. And here's what God tells her. We'll pick it up in verse 23. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red looking, covered with a hair like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. And so 20 years after they are married, Rebecca is finally able to have kids. She has twins. Now, again, this is a, a common theme we'll see over and over at, throughout the Old Testament of sibling rivalry, right? The older and the younger kind of fighting with each other, oftentimes because they don't trust that God and God's abundance, that there is enough for everyone. And so they're trying to take it for themselves. Now, in the ancient world, uh, being the eldest was very significant. It was significant because certain roles and responsibilities would be passed on to you, and it was materially significant as well because you would have a greater uh, a portion of the inheritance for the families. And so oftentimes, even here, we see the older is going to serve the younger. Many times, the biblical story uh, turns the normal expectations on their head. Now, Esau comes out first. Esau in Hebrew literally means hairy. He's redheaded. He's got hair all over him. And then Jacob. Now, the, the name Jacob actually means may God protect 
or God protects and rewards. And as we'll see the story of Jacob, this is what God does to him, even though he doesn't really deserve it. Um, he's actually going to tarnish the name that he has been given. Now, not ironically, it's a little just the Bible thing for it to know. Uh, there are many times in the, especially the Hebrew Bible, where because we don't read it in Hebrew, we might miss this, but there are words that although they are different words on the page, they look very similar together. So Jacob means may God protect, but in Hebrew, it looks very similar to the word heal. Like if you were to write on a page, it looks very similar to the word world heal, which in the ancient world was a connotation for one who supplants or deceives, right? Grabbing one's heel was apparently a figure of speech, meaning to deceive. And so right out of the gate, Jacob is Jacobing. He's grabbing at his brother's heel. And of course, he is going to be a deceiver as we read some of the stories in his life. And so the first story is this, verse 27. It says, when the boys grew up, so it's been a while, we're not sure exactly how long, Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. But Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac, his father, loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game. He loved to eat what his son caught, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, what these verses are telling us is they are opposites in every way, right? Isaac favored Esau, uh, Rebekah favored Jacob. Surely they loved both of their kids, but clearly uh, they had favorites. Um, Esau was a stereotypical manly man, hairy, guns, beer, rock and roll. I mean, this is who he is. Uh, we're going to see he's very impulsive. And then uh, Jacob is the opposite. In fact, the, the word that we have translated quiet here uh, can also be understood as a civilized, or he was a fine man, Perhaps in modern terms, he liked to read philosophy and study books, and he wasn't into sports, and he didn't like to sweat, right? They're opposites in every way, which leads us to the first well-known yet very confusing story, if you've ever read it, and here's what it says, verse 29. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted, he said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. This is why he was also named Edom. In other words, Esau was also known by Edom, especially in the later biblical stories. And so uh, let me just explain what's happening here. Uh, Esau comes in uh, probably most likely, my guess is, from a time of hunting. In other words, he's really hungry. Uh, so what's happening here is they're likely at a shepherd camp, and so they would have had very they would have various outposts. They're a very wealthy family. They had lots of animals, and so this is probably a shepherd camp, kind of away from um, home base. Um, Isaac is likely not there, which is why he appeals to Jacob because Jacob's the one in charge of this area, and he's asking Jacob for some food. Now, being a wealthy family, Jacob may or may not be the one actually making the stew, but it would have been under his supervision. There would have been other servants, and he'd have to ask Jacob for some of the food that they were making. In fact, when he says, or our translation says red stuff, um, I, I don't want to be crass, but he's, he's likely being crass. He's probably like saying, like, give me some of that red blank. Like he wants that food. He's hungry right now. He's, he's likely being coarse in his speech. And what is likely happening, again, is Jacob is overseeing a group of herders. They've got a tent set up. And Esau asked Jacob for some of the stew being made because he is hungry. Now, here's what we get often wrong when we read stories like this, because it doesn't give us a lot of details. And so we can assume things that are probably not happening. So we're not giving a lot of details, but likely what's happening is this is not Esau is just hangry because he didn't eat breakfast. 
Like, that's not what's happening here. What could very likely be happening here is as a hunter, him and the people he's with, they're out hunting. Again, they have no guns. Uh, they have no vehicles. Uh, hunting could be a multi-day thing. And if you don't catch anything, you could go multiple days with hardly eating anything. You would be, especially after vi- physical strenuous activity, starving. I mean, you'd be really, really hungry. That's, that's likely what's happening here. It could have been an unsuccessful hunting trip. He's hungry. They've got some food. Uh, to be fair, again, he's very hungry. He's not just skip breakfast. Um, and at the same time, we'll see this in another story. Esau does seem to be rather impulsive. So he's really hungry. He's also impulsive. And so here's what happens. Verse 31, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. So again, let me just let me explain what's happening here. Jacob was exploiting his brother for his birthright that he has as the firstborn. Now, as modern readers, again, it's helpful for us to just, let me just explain what's happening here because it's easy for us to, to miss it. Uh, the birthright was the oldest son's share of the material estate and some additional responsibilities. In the ancient world, the firstborn would receive double a double share of the inheritance. So, for example, if there were 10 sons, for example, uh, each son will receive one-tenth of the inheritance, but the eldest son would receive two-tenths. So the oldest would receive double what everybody else gets. Now with Esau and Jacob, remember there's only two of them. So Esau would literally receive double what Jacob gets. Esau would get two-thirds of the inheritance. Jacob would only get one-third. If there's only two of you, this is a massive difference, especially in a very wealthy family. To make it worse for Jacob, if we're trying to put our minds in these biblical characters, they're twins. So it's not like Jacob was like a couple years younger and came out later. It's like, no, he's like, they were born at the same time. Esau just happened to beat him out of the womb. So you you have to imagine, he's probably often thinking like, man, it's really not fair that Esau is going to get all this stuff when we're actually like literally the same age. In fact, he might have convinced himself that Esau uh, just got lucky and he is no more deserving of the inheritance and the birthright than he is. No doubt, again, Jacob is likely even maybe bitter or um, uh, just jealous towards Esau and what he is going to get. And so for the original audience, well-versed in how all of this works, this would have been, they would have been horrified by Esau's response to give his birthright, birthright away so willingly. Like that is something that you would not do. It was significant, not just for what you got, but also just intrinsically. There was just responsibility and value of being the eldest. They would be thinking, why in the world would Esau give it up? In fact, they might be thinking it is probably better to die, to actually die than to give up your birthright. Now, again, the story doesn't tell us why Esau would do this. I mean, he, maybe he does think he's going to die, or maybe he really doesn't value it that much. Like, maybe it's not that big of a deal to him. Or maybe he literally thinks he actually is going to, like, I'm so hungry, I'm actually going to die. Whatever, what, for whatever reason, he does. And, of course, the question for us is, what is actually worse? Is it worse to manipulate, as Jacob is doing, or is it worse to being willing to give it up? I think in the modern world, when we read this text, we think Jacob, it's worse for Jacob because he's manipulating. Why would you do this? I think in the ancient world, they might be thinking it's actually worse on Esau that he would give it up. Regardless, this isn't good. This is not something you're supposed to do. And so he gives up the birthright for food. Now, chapter six, I'm just going to explain what's happening here. In chapter six, there's an, or sorry, 
26, there's another famine in the promised land where they are living. Uh, following the command of the Lord, Isaac, to his credit, does not go down to Egypt like Abraham did. So when Abraham first got to the promised land, there was a famine. He wasn't sure how his family was going to survive. He goes down to Egypt. Uh, Isaac doesn't. He travels around in the land, but he stays in the land even during the famine. Uh, unfortunately, at one of the places that he stops, Isaac is afraid for his wife, uh, for his life. And so just like Abraham did with Sarah twice, he says Rebecca is not his wife, but his sister. If you've been with us, part of that in the ancient world is just sexual dominance. And so the leader or the king of a, of a certain land area would often take the, who, who he perceives the, le the leader's wife. Sometimes he would kill him, take his wife as one of his own wives to say, I'm in charge. And so Isaac's not trusting the Lord. He's afraid. And so he says, Rebecca's his sister. And then later on, the guy who's in charge, Abimelech of the area that they're in, finds out that they're not sister and brother because he sees them, you know, being a little bit too lovey-dovey with one another. And so God spares his life. He gives him back Rebecca and he tells him to leave. As they leave, uh, they travel around a few more places. And then the Lord appears to Isaac and promises to bless Isaac. Isaac like he did Abraham. And so after this happens, as we're traveling through these famine years, God appears to Isaac, says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to continue the covenant through you. And that's through you, the entire world will one day be blessed. And then this is how chapter six ends, 26 ends in verse 34. It says this, when Esau was 40 years old, and so now there is sons are grown up, he took as his wives, Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Heathite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Heathite. They made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So uh, Esau becomes older. He marries uh, two Canaanite women, two women in the land that they are living. And Isaac and Rebekah, his parents, are upset about this. This brings them sorrow. Uh, and so what we see here is we read the stories, we see two problems. One, Esau takes not one, but two wives, which is not the Genesis ideal. And two, that he takes them from the land they are living in. And if you've been with us, we've talked about why that's not a good thing. It's because God does not want uh, his people, the people he's covenant with, to begin to take the practice and the religious understanding of the people in the area, but Esau marries them nonetheless. And so now, uh, as they're fully grown men, we're going to see the birthright come into play, the, or the patriarchal blessing is going to come into play. And here's the second story we see of Isaac, or sorry, of Jacob and Isaac. It says this, 27 verse 1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could not see, he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, look, I am old and do not know the day of my death. So now take your hunting gear, your quiver and bow, and go out into the field to hunt some game for me. Verse 4, then make me a delicious meal that I love and bring it to me to eat so that I can bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening to what Isaac said to his son Esau. So while Esau went into the field to hunt some game to bring in, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Listen, I heard your father talking to your brother Esau. He said, verse 7, uh, Bring game and make me a delicious meal for me to eat so that I can bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me and do what I tell you. Go to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, and I will make them into a delicious meal for your father, the, ki the kind he loves." Then take it to your father to eat so that he might bless you before he dies. 
So what happens is uh, Isaac thinks he's about to die. He might be sick or for whatever reason. So he wants to give his blessing to his eldest son, Esau. Rebecca overhears this and she wants Isaac to be blessed. And so uh, she comes up with a plan for Jacob to be the one that's blessed instead of Esau. Now, what you'll actually see is that Isaac is going to live a little bit longer after this incident. So, but maybe he thought he was on his deathbed and so he wanted to get things in order. And so he, he wants to do his pronouncements now. And so he sends Esau out to hunt, to celebrate the occasion. So the patriarchal blessing uh, would, was often a very significant moment for the family. And so, I mean, if it were to happen in like modern world, think of like going to like a really fancy dinner, a really fancy steak dinner where you order the appetizers, dessert, and wine. Like you just go all out. It's a really big deal. And so he uh, sends his son out to hunt some game so they can do this celebratory meal as he blesses his son. Now, Rebecca hears this, tells Jacob what's going on, comes up with a plan for Jacob to deceive Isaac and so that Jacob can get the promised blessing itself. Now, there is some confusion here. It appears to Esau that his father's blessing might be different than the birthright or that maybe Esau has changed his mind or has forgotten or just doesn't care about what he said to Jacob and he wants it. Regardless, he's not going to get it because it says this, verse 11. Jacob answered Rebekah, his mother, look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, but I am a man with smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me, then I will be revealed to him as a deceiver and bring a curse rather than a blessing to myself. His mother said to him, your curse will be on me, my son. Just obey me and go get them for me. So obey, obey me, go get the goats. We're going to do this thing. So uh, we aren't told exactly if Jacob is hesitant about the plan because he doesn't want to lie to his father or if it's just that he doesn't want to be found out. But is he actually feeling bad or is it like he doesn't want to be found out? Uh, it seems to be more of the latter. Like he seems to be more afraid of the curse of being found out and cursed than actually like doing the right thing. Um, and so he does it. Now, we don't know as well. Again, there's a lot of we don't know. We don't know if Jacob ever told Rebecca about the birthright incident. We also maybe don't really know if when Rebecca was told by God that the older would serve the younger, if she told Isaac and they had conversations about this. Like, we don't know. And perhaps that is uh, Rebecca's motivation for doing this, that she's trying to deceive Isaac. Maybe they should have just talked about this. And so she's trying to manipulate and force a way for Jacob to get the blessing. Regardless, Jacob is going to go through with the plan. And as we'll see in a second, he is going to be, he's going to get, get blessed. He's going to get the blessing. And so I just want to say this. I know we've read a lot of texts, said a lot of things. One of the, we're, questioning, we're questioning like what happens when we don't deserve the promises of God. When you see Jacob, who is going to be blessed, you see two stories where he does terrible, awful things, and yet he is still going to get the blessing from his father. So I think one of the things that this text shows us here this morning is this, that God's promises are for the undeserving. God's promises are for people who do not deserve it, who manipulate, who lie, cheat, steal, who mess up, right? Jacob, here's how it is for Jacob, right? He's blessed in the womb, so he might not, he hasn't like maybe not necessarily done anything wrong, but he hasn't done anything to deserve God's blessing either. But even from the womb, God says, I'm going to bless him. 
And then he's going to obtain the blessing after two stories of manipulation, which is like the opposite of being blessed. Like it's one thing to not deserve something and get it. It's another thing to like deserve punishment or wrath or judgment and get blessed. And that is where we find Jacob in these stories. Uh, you, in fact, you can't, as you read particularly through the Old Testament, God's long suffering and his kindness and his grace. I mean, you cannot read the Bible and think we deserved any of this. I mean, you can't. And of course, when it, when it comes to Jesus and his perfect life, death, burial, and his resurrection, his grace that he offers us, it is not because we deserved it. It's simply because God loves us. Like He does for us what we don't deserve. In fact, it makes me think of a, one of my favorite stories, or one of my grandmother's favorite stories about my dad. Uh, when, when me and my, my brothers were young, we, we lived about an hour away from our grandparents, and then we moved, and we lived about two hours away from them. And so uh, very often, we would like go spend the weekend or go spend time at our grandparents' house. And so typically when this happened, my mom and my dad would drive halfway. Uh, she, he, they would meet my grandmother, and my grandmother would pick us up, drive the other way, and then we'd stay for a few days, and, and then we'd meet again. And so at one point, uh, my grandmother is a fantastic cook. Like she just can make anything. It's great. And so one of these meetings, these swapping of the children, my dad was coming to pick us up and she was coming to drop us off. And they were meeting at a Crackle Barrel par parking lot. And she told him that she was going to make him one of his very favorite pies. Now, one of the things you also, also have to know is that like grandparents, and if you're a grandparent, you probably are like this. Uh, my dad would often get on my grandmother and grandfather for doing things for us, buying us toys, like cooking us breakfast, lunch, like doing all this stuff. And he would say, this is not necessary. Right? This is completely unnecessary. And now that I have kids of my own and we've got grandparents around, it's like the same thing. It's like, why? They don't need more toys at their house than they have at our house. They don't need more dress-up clothes at your house. Like, just always. It's, all this stuff is unnecessary. And so he would always say this to her, and she didn't like it. And so she told him, hey, I'm going to bake you a pie. I'm going to hand it to you when, uh, when I drop off your kids. And so we get to the Crackle Barrel parking lot. They do the exchange. They, we put our suitcases in the car. And then she goes into her car. She takes out a container with a lid on it and hands it to my dad. As she hands it to my dad, she re he realizes there's nothing in the container, at which point she says to him, she didn't think it was necessary that she fill it with a pie. <laughs> That's what, like, you know, oh, this ain't necessary. So she taught him. Now, here's why I share this story, what we, what we read in the story of Jacob, right? God gives us the pie. Like, he gives us what we do not deserve, what we did not earn, what was not necessary. Like, he gets nothing out of the deal. There is nothing that we can offer God that he does not already have for himself. Through all of, through all of eternity, the Trinity is a self-sufficient, self-loving, self-governing God. All he does for us is give us blessings and kindness and grace and mercy. Like, we do not offer him anything that he does not already have for himself. And so in this story, we see God giving Jacob the pie. He didn't deserve it. In the gospel of Jesus, we see God blessing the world, offering the gift of salvation, not because we deserved it, but because he is a good and loving father. His promises are for people who feel like they do not earn it. That's Jacob. And so Jacob goes and he gets the goats, as Rebecca had told him. Uh, she, he takes some of Esau's clothes and he puts it on him so he smells like Esau. He feels hairy. Uh, and so he can try to deceive his dad who can't see very well. And then it says this in verse 18 of chapter 27. It says, when he came to his father, so when Jacob came to his father, uh, he said, my father. And he answered, here I am, where are you, my son? Jacob replied to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how did you ever find it so quickly, my son? Again, typically hunting could take a few days uh, to find some animals, to cook it, to butcher it, do all that sort of thing. So this is really, really quick. He replied, because the Lord your God made it happen for me. 
Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come closer so I can touch you, my son. Are you really my son Esau? He realized like this, this something sounds weird. This, this, something's weird about this. Verse 22, so Jacob came closer to his father Isaac. When he touched him, he said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. 24, and again he asked, are you really my son Esau? And he replied, I am. Then he said, bring it closer to me and let me eat some of my son's game so that I can bless you. Jacob brought it closer to him and he ate. He brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, please come closer and kiss me, my son. So he came closer and kissed him. When Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and he said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Verse 28, May God give to you from the dew of the sky and from the richness of the land an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and may nations bow in homage to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow in homage to you. Those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. This is God's promise in the covenant that Jacob, well, he thinks it's Esau, but it's going to be Jacob. You're going to be over the family. You're going to be over everyone. The covenantal blessing is going to continue through you. So he blesses Isaac, or sorry, he blesses Jacob. And so as soon as Jacob leaves, uh, Isaac uh, uh, leaves, uh, says that uh, Esau returns. So he comes into the tent like right after Jacob leaves the tent. And it's a reversal of what happens at the moment when they were born, that, 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 I, that Esau came first and then Jacob came right after him. So Isaac finds out that he's been deceived because Esau shows up and is like, that wasn't me. He's understandably incensed. He's angry because he didn't give the blessing to Esau. He instead gave it to Jacob. And then it says this in verse 34, when Esau heard his father's words that he had already blessed Jacob, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me too, my father. But he replied, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing, right? That Esau has been deceived twice now by Jacob. And so Esau does not receive the blessing and the birthright of the firstborn. Now you might be thinking, well, why can't he just like re-bless Esau and like change what he said? Um, culturally, this isn't something you would take back or change. Like once you said it, like it just was not something that you would change. And so he wouldn't. And in many ways, the patriarchal pronouncements are also kind of like speaking the future into existence. And so they don't, it's not like every time the father says it's going to happen, like it's actually going to happen. But you can kind of think of it like this. Like if you're told your whole life that you're worthless, then you probably believe, behave and believe and respond accordingly. Or maybe if you were lovingly pushed and encouraged to achieve something you didn't think you could, there is a much likely, likelier chance you can achieve it. So I think of like our kids, uh, you know, like there's something that they can't do, like a physical challenge or whatever that I know that they can do. Like I'll be like, no, you can do this. I'll say, hey, I can do this. I'll keep pushing them until they could do it. Now, the only reason they do it is because they finally believe in themselves enough to do it. Yet if I had told them you can't do it, they also just would have given up. And so that, that often happens with these pronouncements that people just kind of live them into existence. If that's what you said, that's what we're going to obey. That is what's going to happen. And so Isaac can't and won't give the blessing to Esau since he's already given it out. Instead, he does this in verse 38, 27. Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept loudly. His father Isaac answered him, look, your dwelling place will be away from the riches, richness of the land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But you, when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. 
And so what Esau receives is essentially the anti-blessing, right, compared to what Jacob got. That Jacob and Jacob's descendants will inherit the land God promised to Abraham and all of its fruits. And Esau, the hunter, is going to live by the sword. That he will not overcome his brother and his offspring will not overcome his brother's offspring. That one day Esau's offspring will break away. You actually can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 8, where the Edomites kind of break away from living under the rule of the Israelites. But still, the promise, the blessing is going to go through Jacob. The covenant in the land will continue through Jacob and not Esau. And so here's Esau's response. It's the last part of we'll read, starting in verse 41 of 27 says this, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, that said this, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. In other words, once dad dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. When the words of her older son Esau were reported back to Rebekah, their mom, she summoned her younger son Jacob, said to him, listen, your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. So now, my son, listen to me. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. This is where Rebecca came from for her family, their extended family. And stay with him for a few days until your brother's anger subsides, until your brother's rage turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. <laughs> like, that seems kind of weird because obviously you wouldn't. But anyway, then I will send for you and bring you back here. Why should I lose both in one day? In other words, she's saying, why should I lose Isaac and Jacob in the same day? So you need to go, run, flee back to my homeland. And then after a while, when, uh, when uh, Esau is chilled out, I'll come and send for you. Now, what's interesting is this is actually perhaps the last time Rebecca ever sees Jacob. Now, we'll, we'll continue his story over the next couple of weeks, but we're never told that she sees Jacob again. Now, I want to put all this out to say, the promised covenant is going to continue through Jacob, who we've told multiple times is a deceiver and does not deserve it. And so I just want to say this when it comes to the scriptures. Um, the scriptures are terrible propaganda. In other words, if you were to write a book to try to convince people to your ideology, you would not write this. You would not say how the, 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 or, or the originators of your faith, who God chose, screwed up so badly. Like you, like you, you just won't. Like you would think, like, why would the story be, be in here? And I think for part of the reason is for us today as we follow Jesus, I think it's a reminder to us that God's grace and his love and his promises are worked out despite us. That his patience and his love and his grace in our lives and his promises are continued, not because of our best efforts, but because he loves us and he is faithful. In fact, I would argue that Jacob and Esau are actually pretty normal people who left to their own pride and selfishness caused them to make non-God-honoring decisions. That over time, they drifted away more and more, got away with things, and so they continued to behave in a way that's not honoring to God, particularly to Jacob as we see here. And so again, the question we had for us this morning is what happens when we don't deserve the promises of God? We see, first of all, that he is the one who is faithful to his promises, but also we also see this in the story, that God's, uh, God accomplishes his promises through grace. What this story show us is that God accomplishes his promises, not by our efforts and our trying really hard or our promise to be better in the future. None of these things. He accomplishes his promises through grace. Again, Abraham, if you were with us, he made some poor decisions. He made some good ones too, but he was unfaithful, yet God was faithful to him. 
Uh, not because Abraham deserved it, but simply because that's who God is. Uh, Isaac, we, we kind of, I kind of just explained the story today, but in Isaac chapter, or in, a, in Genesis chapter 26, uh, Isaac threatens the covenant by saying Rebecca was his sister. And God yet faithfully redeems them and restores them. Uh, Jacob and Esau both certainly do not seem worthy. Uh, the, the willingness for Esau to give away his birthright doesn't deserve it. The deceitfulness of Jacob twice now, like he's the one who gets it. He definitely doesn't deserve it. Yet the covenant goes through him. Like how is this even a thing? Uh, this is why in Romans chapter 9, the apostle Paul is writing about how God is the one who chooses to save and redeem and bless. And he says this in Chapter, uh, verse, chapter 9, verses 9, 10 through 12, it'll be on the screen. Not only that, talking about the, 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 how God saves us and he's the one who redeems us, but Rebecca conceived children through one man, our father Isaac. He's talking about the Esau and Jacob story. For through her, uh, for, through, for though her sons had not been born or yet or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand, not from works, but from the one who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. That God chose to bless, uh, to bless Jacob. In fact, then it says this in verse 16. So then, it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. Again, God accomplishes his promises through grace. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking, oh man, I, I screwed up with this. I, I did this. I yelled at my spouse. I, I cut, cut corners at work. I kind of lied about this thing. I don't know. Like, it's not about, even if you've never done any of those things, God's grace is still the thing that redeems you and saves you. And of course, if we look at the life of Jesus, uh, Jesus is often called in the New Testament, the firstborn. Not because he wasn't created and then showed up, but because what they're talking about the ancient world, that Jesus being the firstborn of creation means he's the one who's deserving of all inheritance, of all grace and all love. And what does Jesus do in the New Testament? He willingly, not deceitfully, not trying to change anything or steal something from somebody else, but he willingly gives us the blessing and inheritance that he alone deserved. That's the gospel. The firstborn laying down what they earned, what they deserve for everyone else who doesn't. The irony of the Jacob story is that Jacob come comes out snatching at the heel. Now, what other story in Genesis do we, talk, do we talk about a heel snatcher? Well, Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent is biting at the heel, but yet God promises that he will send a serpent crusher to crush the head of the snake. The irony of all ironies is that the serpent crusher is going to come from Jacob. Even though Jacob acts like the serpent in this story, right? That God in his grace is what redeems us. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, and not you. It is grace. 